Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, July 8th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... For everyone who's willing to listen, please listen. It's not getting better, it's getting worse, and it gets worse every day. Public health officials report record hospitalizations and describe a system strained of resources. Then, how new Corrections Commissioner Burl Kane plans to repair parchment and rehabilitate inmates. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a University of Southern Mississippi student from Oxford is using an online platform to encourage conversations for change. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's hospitals are caring for more COVID-19 patients than at any prior point during the coronavirus pandemic. This is according to the latest data from the Mississippi Department of Health. During a briefing yesterday, State Health Officer Thomas Dobbs said the strain the virus is having on hospitals means certain counties will have to suspend elective procedures because beds are in short supply. Due to the, the low number and the lack of ICU capacity in certain markets, as we've sort of hinted in the past, we're going to have to move toward limiting elective procedures in certain areas. And so we will be releasing a public health order today that will, um, that will uh, restrict elective procedures um, such that in, the, in, in certain counties, um, hospitals cannot do elective procedures that lead to hospitalizations or elective medical admissions. And these counties are going to be Hines County, Rankin County, Madison County, Forest County, Jones County, and Washington County. This also is going to be a fluid situation where we'll, we'll probably have to add additional counties as this continues to expand. We, not only are we seeing it numerically, but we're getting reports and complaints on a regular basis about people unable to get care because there's nowhere to send patients once they show up in the emergency room. Um, so again, Hines, Rankin, Madison, Forest, Jones, and Washington County. The stress to the system is a result of a two-week period of record case numbers. Previously, Dobbs indicated the rise was caused by widespread community transmission, mainly among 18 to 29-year-olds. He says now those cases are making their way up the age ladder. 
you know, that's something we've been saying the whole time. Like, you know, it, we're, it's not going to stay in kids, right? It's going to move up the age ladder, and that's kind of what we're seeing. Um, the other thing about protecting nursing homes and stuff, these are not impermeable buildings where people don't come and go. The best way to protect everybody is for people not to get it in the first place. And it's just it's just dangerous to violate the social distancing rules, which people are doing. And I know um, one of the things that happened, and we're looking into it, is um, some a lot of these uh, get-togethers on the sandbars over the Fourth of July. And there was one that I was we were notified of that was right near Lakeland, and it's a bunch of teenagers. Um, and we got a, a, a bunch of listing of people that we think may be infected from that event. So we're we're looking into that. But, but again, it's just not surprising. You can't put a lot of people together in the middle of the worst pandemic in a century and expect nothing bad to happen. It's just absolutely insane uh, thought process. Over the weekend, Governor Tate Reeves blamed the uptick in numbers to the mass gatherings of people protesting across the state. But health officials say there is no evidence to support that. State epidemiologist Paul Byers says the data points to continued community transmission. It's, it's basically what we've talked about before. It's not necessarily associated with any large particular outbreak in an industry setting. It is person-to-person widespread community transmission. And that's what we're seeing. Anytime group activities occur, we're going to, we anticipate that we'll see an increase. After Memorial Day, we started seeing some increases in our number of cases. We may be seeing the same thing after the 4th of July. You know, we heard anecdotally of a number of of gatherings, large get-togethers where, where people are getting together and socializing and not social distancing and not wearing a mask. We can't continue to be surprised that when folks get into groups and they're not social distancing and they're not wearing a mask, that we're going to see a bump in cases. And, you know, the time frame that these cases occur, remember there can sometimes be a lag in that reporting. Sometimes these Folks may be symptomatic for a few days before they actually go to the doctor and get tested. And so it's best to look at our, our EPI curve, and we put that on our, on our website. And what you can see with that is that we're starting to trend up. But when you look at the two weeks past from today, we anticipate that we're going to fill that in more with additional cases as we move forward. Dobbs says messages regarding public health practices like social distancing and wearing masks are being disregarded by some, but urges residents to be smart and safe. Be safe. Do the simple things. Stay at home when you can. Um, this is this is the pandemic of the century. It's not going to be going on year after year. It's just going to you know it's just going to go until it goes. And just be patient and 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 try to be safe so that we can come out on the other side of it safely. Some people aren't hearing the message, I understand that. Some people are denying the message. Some people are actively actively combating the message. Those folks are going to be harder to reach, I think, until there's a personal story attached to it. But for everyone who's willing to listen, please listen. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. And it gets worse every day. Surgeons wear masks all day long. OR nurses wear masks all day long. I wear masks all day long. You do not poison yourself with your own carbon dioxide. Someone asked me about your breathing your own carbon monoxide. If you bring your own, your own carbon monoxide, then you're already dead because we don't make carbon monoxide. Um, there, um, yes, it's not going to hurt you, but it is going to keep you, hopefully, from spreading or getting coronavirus. 
Health officials worry the rise in community transmission is leading to more outbreaks in long-term care facilities. Byers says over half of yesterday's 44 reported related deaths, which occurred between July 3rd and July 6th, occurred in such facilities. Stay up to date with the latest in coronavirus-related news by visiting mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Coming up, how new Corrections Commissioner Burl Kane plans to repair parchment and rehabilitate inmates. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Did contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Parchment State Penitentiary has long been a target of admonishment for those seeking comprehensive prison reform in Mississippi. The facility has buildings with reportedly inadequate water supplies and no electricity, prompting reform advocates to call for its closing. But new Department of Corrections Commissioner Burl Kane wants to keep parchment open. In part two of his conversation with our Desiree Fraser, Kane lays out his plans for parchment and rehabilitation. I want to keep parchment open because if we close it, then the state of Mississippi fails. It's not its not what we can't fix. You can't walk away from something and fail. Failure is not an option. We're going to win, and we're going to do it, and we can do it there, and we're going to instill pride in everybody there in the correctional officer. We've changed the way we hire people already. You can come and ask us for a job today, and I can have you on the payroll tomorrow, one day. That was never done before. We've increased the people that we've interviewed and hired, doubled it already in the first month I've been here. We're moving really fast to move all our stuff as much as we can back to the prisons from headquarters because we want it to operate. You have to sail the ship and steer the ship from the ocean. You can't steer it from the bank. That's what we're doing in Mississippi. So anyway, all these things are just common sense to do, and it's easy to do, but we can fix these things. It should have never gotten in the shape it was in. Well, how are you going to fix the physical structure? How are you going to restore electricity, plumbing? It sounds very expensive to rehabilitate that facility. Well, you don't have the option just yet because we're not ready, but you're going to be shocked when you go back and see what's already been done. What about the food? The food is critical. Listen, good food, good medicine, good playing, good praying. You have a good prison. We are going to have good food or we are going to be doing it ourselves, I can tell you. I'm passionate about the food. Let's talk about gang violence. How are you going to attack that issue? Critics have said there are some facilities where basically the gangs run the operation. Well, I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to share my power with an inmate. I can't tell you how I'm going to do it because I don't don't anybody know how I'm going to do it. But I promise you there was no gangs in Angola. And there's not going to be any gangs like you think of gangs in, in the future. I can't tell you how I quit, but that's what my job is. And I've already done this one time, as you know, so I know exactly what I'm going to do. And remember one more thing. I never worked in a prison until I was a warden of a prison. I have no tradition in me. In tradition, in, in normally prison people are traditional people who grow up and be a, become a correctional officer and work their way all the way up to the top. So they're full of tradition. So I'm so non-traditional that that's why I know I can do it. Let's go back to staffing for a minute. You talked about bringing in people quicker. Are you screening them? What about low pay? The governor did me a great blessing in all of us because we've raised the pay to where that now we bring you in at $27,000 a year and $28,000 next year. The 
personnel board, I've already met with them because they give you a raise in a year. I want to give you a raise in six months. They give you a raise in three years, and I want to give you the next raise in a year and a half so that I have paid them enough on the beginning that I get them trained that they get enough money so they don't leave. Because we have a lot of money invested in someone, it's more important to keep him the first two years, and he'll stay the the rest of his years, and it'll be a career. But if you don't pay him till the third year, he's gone. He's got to make a living. So the personnel board has helped me greatly. But the governor had been phenomenal because had he not given us the pay raise, it would have made my job much harder. And on screening staffing, how is that? How are you handling that? Screening staff in we do the NCIC check, we run them through, and that tells us if they're a criminal, if they've been arrested before and all that, and you get that in about 10 minutes. As quick as a state trooper stops you on the road and reads your driver's license, and we do that real quick. That's the basic thing we look at now. They were requiring a physical. We don't need to require a physical. We're going to know in the training academy if you're physically able to do it, so why you don't? Why you do a physical? And before I came, they made the employee, the potential employee, pay for his own physical and go to a doctor to get a physical. Well, that took a lot of time, and many times he didn't have the money to pay. So we stopped all that foolishness, and we just speeded it all up, and it's going to be great. There's been concerns that most of the corrections officers are women. Your thoughts on that? I think that it's okay that they're women. We don't discriminate. We don't care. The point is, is the prison safe enough to have women work there? And the, and the answer is, it will be. If it's not, it will be. And that's what we're going to do. We just keep on hiring who comes. What is the state of the prisons right now in your estimation in terms of reducing violence? If you want to say what the problem really was, the really problem really was is they weren't able to hire staff because, for one thing, they had such a catastrophic rigmarole you had to go through to get hired and took so long to do it. People that are vying for a low-paying job have to have money to pay the rent next month. They can't wait two months for a check. They can't wait for you to to see and spend a month vetting them and all this stuff. You can't. you got to hurry up and get them a check. So that's what we did. So lack of people causes you problems because someone's going to fill the vacuum, and that opens the door for the gang. Because he, somebody's got to fill the vacuum. So we're fixing that by employing people as fast and as much as we can. And that's the real thing that we can do right now. And you did mention in your confirmation that you wanted the inmates to be outside more? They have to be. I mean, it's got to be an out. you got to get out of it. See, here's what's the problem. Coronavirus has really messed us up because you have to have social distancing, and we don't have a lot, so that's good. But once this is gone, we're going to be out recreating and working. We need to be growing our vegetables. We have a big garden. We have a farm. I mean, what is the problem? We we did that at Angola, and the inmates like to do that because they don't mind picking vegetables if they know they're going to eat them the next day, and we have a processing plant. So we're going to be doing all that. That's, it's policy work, meaningful work is what we're going to be doing. And I'd like to commend MPIC because they're doing a good job with their industrial program. We're going to latch right into them and work with them. I've already met with them, and that's part of us, too. We're all one. We're working all together. Everybody working together now really well. Mentioning COVID-19, the coronavirus, you said that you would be willing to be transparent in terms of numbers. Do you have any? We, we publish the numbers every day on our website. And somebody asked me that, so I'm sure that we do, and we do, and it's there. And so every day, daily, we do. 
Burl Kane is the new Department of Corrections Commissioner speaking with our Desiree Frazier. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a University of Southern Mississippi student from Oxford is using an online platform to encourage conversations for change. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Starting in March, I've had hives. They come and go. They're on my fingertips. Um, Sometimes they're all over my body, sometimes just occasionally, you know, on the limbs. What do you think about that? Now, when you say hives, I think of like they're whelps, so it's like it swells up, right? Is that what you're describing? Exactly. Is it affected by temperature? Like if you're colder and you're under the air conditioning, does it happen more then? No. A couple of things that this could be, so you can have hives like this uh, all over your body, Uh, It's usually an allergic type reaction to something. You can have it from something in particular, or it might be even like pressure or different temperature changes. All those things can sort of contribute to it. There are a couple of other conditions, though, uh, things like cold and warm agglutinins, where you can actually have painful extremities uh, in different parts of your body from clotting factors in, uh, in those extremities. But if it's just hives, a lot of those may be acquired things, particularly if you've only had it for three months, that you may need to see an allergist or an allergy immunologist for. There are certain blood tests that they may want to test for for different uh, types of pathways that help initiate this. And then there are different medications that you can take to, uh, to prevent it. So regardless if it's triggered by any one thing or if it's just something that you get without the trigger, I probably would want to see an allergy immunologist to sort of check you out and do some blood work to make sure it's not something else. But it can be treated. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In the wake of the May 25th death of George Floyd, a freshman psychology major and honors college student at the University of Southern Mississippi felt compelled, like many of her peers, to seek solutions to better her community. So, Claria Holmes at home in Oxford organized an online platform with panelists to facilitate a discussion with input from local residents on the issues of racial injustice and its inter section with policing. Holmes joins us to share how the events in Minneapolis inspired her to start conversations for change. Um, it really, it upset me and um, it hit closer to home because, you know, we're in quarantine right now. So um, we're, we're surrounded by our technology and things like that. 
So I was really just the when the videos were being released and um, it was just all I was seeing on my social media pages, on the news and things like that. So um, it upset me more than I won't say more, but um, I was I was I was forced to face my emotions about it because of um, because of how often I was seeing it. And so um, it really um, that's what really sparked me wanting to do something more for um, victims of police brutality and then, you know, just raise awareness about it. Conversations for Change. Tell us how it came about and the steps you went through and what you hoped it would accomplish. Okay, so um, Conversations for Change came about because I wanted to um, I wanted to do something more for George Floyd, but also within my um, within my community, raise awareness about police brutality and just kind of start the conversation here because um I feel I felt like conversations were being had, but behind closed doors or in, you know, in our own personal homes. And so I wanted to create a space where people could um, where people could get together and have those conversations, you know, um, while still following the um, the rules of, that we ha- that we're now in uh, because of the health pandemic. And so um, from there, I just started I started reaching out to people and um, planning, you know, OK, what was my goal for the for the zoom calls. And so, um, my main goal was again, just to create an open space for dialogue and then kind of come up with some solutions for Oxford specifically. Was the emphasis to educate and share ideas first, or was there a plan of action from the beginning? So it was, it was both. Um, it was to share, uh, because again, I felt like these conversations were being had outside of, um, not in a public space. The community wasn't talking to, we weren't talking to one another as a community. We were talking to, you know, one another as friends or family. And so um, it was to, you know, to share these ideas and come together and then come up with a solution that would work for Oxford with, you know, of course it wouldn't, wouldn't have the approval of everyone, but something that the community could agree on and say, okay, this is a step in the right direction. What did you learn from some of these folks that maybe you didn't know before gave you a different perspective? They had a lot of things to to say about, um, you know, how how UPD handles um, college students and nightlife on the square, but also how UPD um, handles them on campus. And so, of course, me being a student at Southern Miss, I don't see how Ole Miss, you know, how Ole Miss students react with the, with the police here or um, or with the university police. So that really added a different but also necessary perspective to the conversation was, OK, you can fix or you can address things that are happening in Oxford with OPD, but how do you address that with UPD as well? You said that members of the community could listen or tune in and send questions. Any idea how many people did do that? Yes. So the Zoom calls were open. Um, I, the links were posted on the Conversations for Change um, social media pages. So the community was welcome to come. They um, they were muted at all times, so that way the conversation wouldn't be interrupted um, between the panelists. But they, um, our social media pages were open before and during the calls for them to send in questions if they had any. And so um, they were, I think that first call we had, we started off with around 70 or 80 people. And by the end, I think we had ended with um, around 65. And then the second call, I think those numbers were the same. Are you going to do it again? So um, as of right now, the, the solution that the 
um, that the board came up, that the panelists came up with was that um, they were going to create a community advisory board that would hold um, kind of hold hold the mayor and the police departments um, accountable, but also kind of relay important information to the community about, you know, training programs that they're doing or, you know, just relative um, relevant information that the community would need. So that um, they're working. They just elected all of um, Mayor Tannehill and the board of aldermen have just elected um, those, the committee for that. Um, but as of right now, I'm in, I'm in the works, I'm in the process of creating more, um, creating kind of a, some, a similar idea to the community advisory board, but within the school district. So I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure if I'll have, if conversations will change, we'll host another talk like the police brutality, uh, panels, but I'm still very much in the works of, um, of working on this. So you may start up another conversation. Yes. In the education vein. Have the first two sessions been recorded? Can people still access those? Yes. So those are available on our, um, on our Facebook page and our Instagram page. Do you think maybe you'll have some conversations at the university of Southern Mississippi? Yes. I look forward to, um, I'm already kind of in the works with a few other students and the honors college at, uh, Southern Miss to kind of see how we want to address um, address some of the things that are happening. And I know um, I know the university has made tremendous strides in addressing, you know, things that have happened. I'm very proud to be a student at the university. So I'm really excited to see what the fall semester looks like, because I know that I know where they stand. And um, I know that they're that they're really trying to make an effort to make sure that everyone feels safe and um, and valid. Kaluria Holmes is the founder, I guess that's the right word, of Conversations for Change. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your vision with us. Thank you. This is Mississippi Edition on, and this has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.